Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. A House Divided. On June 16, 1858, Abraham Lincoln, after being chosen to represent the Republican Party, made this address to the Republican State Convention. Mr. President and gentlemen of the convention, if we could first know where we are and whether we are tending, we could then better judge what we do or what to do and how to do it. We are now far into the fifth year since a policy was initiated with the avowed object and confident promise of putting an end to slavery agitation. Under the operation of that policy, that agitation has not only not ceased, but has constantly augmented. In my opinion, it will not cease until a crisis shall have been reached and passed. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved, and I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become one thing. It will become all one thing or the other. A house divided. No, I'm not here to preach to you on politics. But there is so much truth that we can glean from that statement from Abraham Lincoln. Do you know, we live in a culture divided. We live with division all around us. That is all part of the fallen world. Division. When Pastor RJ asked me back in June if I would be willing to preach a message on this Sunday... Um, right away as I began praying and seeking the Lord in regards to what my message title was supposed to be. And, you know, often it's something that I, that I ponder on and I meditate on for quite some time before I come to any conclusion. But this time, he didn't miss a beat. As I asked the question, as quickly as I asked it, he answered me. A house divided. The first thoughts that came to my mind were, wait a minute, because as I'm thinking about house divided, I'm perceiving all these different aspects, um, my perception of a house divided. And I'm like, Father God, no, it can't be that. And so I got some Q-tips. I cleaned my ears and I says, Lord, my ears are clean now. I can hear better. What's the message title that I'm supposed to be speaking on? house divided. And so to help perhaps gain some understanding of where people's hearts are at, I went around over the course of the next couple weeks and I was asking people the question, if I was to say I'm speaking on the topic, a house divided, what are the first things that come to your mind? 
And of those almost 30 people, predominantly, they all answered with three different answers. And I'm going to give you their answers from the, the most that answered down to the least. Mind you, there were a few other answers as well, but these were the top three. The number one answer that people came back to me with is a house divided references or refers to a church split. That was the, that was the number one answer. The number two answer vaccine or no vaccine. The number three answer, masks or no masks. And I'm like, I go back to the Lord. It's like, Lord, this doesn't help me because I'm not preaching on any of those things. No way. No way on earth. A house divided. You know, sometimes God, he doesn't give you all the details. He wants you to, he wants you to chew a little bit. You know, he, he throws you a steak and he says, savor this for a while. Chew on it. I did. And I began pondering a few questions. Division. Why does it exist? Why do we have division? You know, and as I was pondering, God impressed upon me um, some interesting facts. He impressed upon me that division is actually misdirected vision. Did you get that? Division is misdirected vision. It means that one or both parties, or all of us, for a matter of fact, our vision is on the wrong thing. In most cases, division is caused by a difference of beliefs. Somebody messed my notes up. That's okay. Where's my first point? There we go. I want to read from you to read to you from Titus chapter 3 verses 9 to 11 and I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation. Why can't we just agree? But avoid useless conversations, genealogies, pointless quarrels, and arguments over the law, which will get you nowhere. After a first and second warning, have nothing more to do with a divisive person who refuses to be corrected. For you know that such a one is entwined with his sin and stands self-condemned. Did you hear the answer there? Why can't we just agree? Sin. Sin. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. 
I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and in purpose. Say it with me. United in thought and purpose. Okay, we're not very united here. Let's try this again. United in thought and purpose. Do you hear what he's saying? The Apostle Paul is saying here, and he, he lays it out perfectly clear. Division is because we can't agree on what we believe and on what we do. That's where the division is. That's why we can't agree. But you know, the interesting thing is, it points to a deeper issue. It points to a much deeper issue. Matthew 15 verse 18 says, But the words you speak come from the heart. That which defiles you. So you know, the conversations that we have with people are a reflection of what's going on here. One of the, on Sunday mornings, one of the things that I absolutely love about my job is I love the opportunity, while Pastor RJ is focusing on the message and and, uh, and all of that. I love being in the hallways, mingling with the people, talking, visiting, and listening, watching. But I have to be honest. Over the last several months, my heart has been broken. And I have been appalled at some of the things that I've heard in conversation. Conversation which brings division, not unity. Don't worry, I'm totally vaccinated. Or the opposite. Are you vaccinated? Oh good, I'm not either. I know, I said I wasn't going to be talking about this. But where is our heart that conversation comes from where, what is in our heart. You know, I have to say, again, the songs that the worship group sang, did you notice what was the theme of everyone? Jesus Christ. Only Jesus. You know, the me being up here, if I'm to be 100% honest, I quake in my shoes every time I come up here. I quake in my shoes because I am not worthy to be up here. But Jesus Christ is. My heart, my focus is Jesus Christ. Perhaps maybe we spend too much time watching the news than we do spending time in God's word. And therefore, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. When we talk about a house divided, 
What I really, really want to be focusing on this morning is the house. Do you know, there is a war waging inside of me. Romans 7, verses 15 to 25 states it well. Paul talks, and he says, starting in verse 15, he says, I don't really understand myself. For what I do, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I, I do what I hate. And just to save time, I'm going to jump ahead. Verse 21, he says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Verse 23, but there is another power at work within me, or that is at war. There is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? One of the phrases in, in one of the songs that they sang, I am not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here? I am not enough on my own. It is so obvious that there is a division that wars inside us against right and wrong. We have to be intentional and choose. What are we listening to? What are we watching? Are we filling ourselves with life or are we filling ourselves with that which divides us? Continuing in Romans 7, verse 25, Paul says, Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. The answer is Jesus Christ. He is the center of it all. Amen. I want to come back to the statement I made earlier. Division is misdirected vision. And in most cases, division is caused by a difference of beliefs. When we ask the question, what do we believe? What do you believe? I am 100% certain that we can come to an agreement intellectually about what we believe. If I was to ask the question, do you believe in the gospel message? If I was to ask, if you believe in the gospel message, please rise to your feet. I'm not asking you to do it, but thank you. I can almost guarantee that the majority of you will all stand up. We believe in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Right? But you know what? How is that gospel message affecting what you do? We intellectually understand and believe it, but does it change what we do? So I want to ask four W questions. The four W's. The first one. Why am I here? 
Do you know that if you do a Google search on why am I here, it comes up with all kinds of answers. In fact, I have found and I have learned that the majority of the Google searches are all about what's my purpose, why am I here. People don't know. People don't have a clue. And what's really shocking to me is that for many Christians, they don't know what their purpose is. They don't know why they're here. If I stop and ask people, what's your purpose in life? Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that one out. Three things I want to share with you about your purpose. First, every believer is called to reflect God's glory. Probably the most important understanding that we can have about our identity and about our purpose. We are called to reflect his glory. Acts chapter 17, verse 24 to 25 says, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in human-made temples. He doesn't live here. Okay, but don't confuse what I'm saying here. I'm just reading scripture. He doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs. For he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. So let me explain this very clearly. We don't need to serve him in the sense that we understand serving. We need to come in alignment with his heart and his will for his creation. That means that my purpose is to fulfill his heart for creation. Why did he create the world? That his glory may be um, expanded throughout the entire world. That's his heart. That was number one. Second one. We are called to replicate. Replicate. What kind of a word is that? Replicate. Make disciples. You know what? I remember... Several years back, I tried to um, impress upon a group of people the realities of discipleship and disciple making. Yeah, you got to come up with a different word. I, I don't like that word. It's biblical. Jesus came and told his disciples. I have given, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Do you know that when he says go, he's passing the authority on? Jesus came to earth for the gospel message. And now he is saying to all his followers, past, present, future, all of his followers... Go. 
Make disciples of all nations. You know, there was a time where I truly believed that I needed to become a missionary in order to go. And so I did. With my wife, we went to Bolivia for 10 years. We went. But let me tell you something. You have more nations outside your door than where I went. All we need to do is get outside. Stop watching television. Your nation awaits. Your nations, plural. Third, we are called to cultivate. Mark 10, 43 to 45. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. You know, I grew up on a farm. I know all about cultivating. I hated cultivating. It was boring. It was dusty. And I wasn't accomplishing anything. So I thought, other than turning the soil around. But as I grew older, I learned. I was preparing the soil to receive the seed. Do you know, when we talk about going and making disciples, right away in our mind, we have this concept that disciple making means bringing people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's it. In and of itself. That's its little box. Disciple making. It's like, Jeremiah, would you like to be saved? You know, it's that little process. That's how we package it. But that's not it. Disciple making starts with cultivation. Before the seed takes root. You prepare the soil. Well, how do you do that? Serving. Serving, just like what Jesus did. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And he gave up his life. He says, he who wishes to follow after me must take up his life. Take up the cross and follow me daily. It's not something that we can choose to do one day of the week and we're done for the rest of the week. He says, do it daily. Count the cost. I remember in the first church that I ever was preaching, one of the elderly gentlemen came to me and he says, he says, pastor, if you keep preaching like that, nobody's going to come to the Lord. Because I wasn't preaching a message that was a feel-good message. I wanted people to know what it was going to cost. And in two years, the church doubled in size. Because somebody before me had done a lot of cultivating. Cultivate. The second important question that we need to ask ourselves is, who am I? Who am I? Who are you? It's amazing how people answer that question. A lot of times they answer with what they do. Or, you know, from where they come. 
where they live. But you know what? I am created in the image and likeness of my father. Genesis chapter 1. Believe it or not, this is amazing. This starts all the way from the very beginning of creation. It is said, and I'm reading Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 from the New King James Version. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion, authority over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Do you know what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God? Dwell, my oldest, is created in my likeness. She doesn't look like me, but her character is like mine. She looks like her mom. Split in image, they've been called sisters. Joelle hated it. Colleen loved it. <laughs> I remember flying back from, from Bolivia one time. Stewardess approaches me and, and says, and what about your daughters? And I'm like, wow. <laughs> Joelle has my characteristics, and so she has my likeness. We, are, we have the characteristics of God, our Father, inside of us. And so we are created in the likeness of God. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you know the significance of that in your life? Because if you grab a hold of that understanding with conviction, it changes the way we live our lives. We live our lives with confidence, not because of who we see ourselves to be or who others have declared us to be. It doesn't matter about the, the pains and the, and the abuse or whatever else we've received along the way because God has declared, I am his child. Sin has marred that reality of our likeness. But Jesus Christ came to restore it. Image. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Do you know that as a king, back in the day, if he wanted to send a message to you know, somebody, another, another kingdom or whatever, he would send, he would send a, a, somebody who he had confidence in and trusted and he would send them with his royal seal. And that royal seal meant that he, he was representing the king in every way. He had the authority of the king in all the kingdom and in, in agreement with the king's reign. We are created in the image of God. We go forth with his seal on our hearts, identifying us as his chosen vessel to represent him. 
with that same authority. Who am I? I am a member. I am a member of my father's business, his, my father's family, and I'm about my father's business. Because I love him so dearly, because my heart is for him and for his purposes in my life, every encounter I have with somebody on the street, in the office, at work, in my home, wherever, those encounters are God encounters where I represent Jesus Christ. And constantly I'm praying, as somebody comes into my office, Father God, what is the word that you have for this person? What is your heart for this person? What is the message you want me to share with this person? And if somebody wants to come in my office and talk about somebody else, I will have nothing to do with it. Because that's not the Father's business. The Father's business is not about division, it's about unity. I am a priest. I am a priest. I have to read these verses. 1 Peter 2, verses 5 to 9. And you are living stones that God is building into his holy spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Verse 9. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, a royal priests, a holy nation, God's very possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. What does it mean to be a priest? Do you know that the job of a priest, even in the Old Testament, was to be one who represents God the Father to the people? It was a calling. Sometimes we look at people in a position of authority and we say, oh, that's his job. I'm referring to the pastors. That's the pastor's job. Do you know what? The Bible doesn't say the pastors are the priests. He calls all who claim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are priests in my kingdom. You are the leaders. I am the leader. Together, we are part of the household of God. We are a part of the same family. And just like in your family, Sometimes people think that they're more important than the other siblings, but the reality is, from the father's perspective, from the mother's perspective, that's never true. We are in the business of our father together. We have unique responsibilities, we have unique tasks, but we are one together. One body with one spirit, the Holy Spirit guiding us. What am I to do? The third W, what? What am I to do? I am to bear his image wherever I go. 
I am to be his representative wherever I go. If you are to be honest with yourselves and you ask yourselves the moment that you walk out of this, this church and go back to your home, are you certain that you are taking advantage of every opportunity to represent Jesus Christ? Are you a representative of Jesus Christ on Monday? What about Tuesday or Wednesday? Thursday? Friday's a holiday. Well, no, Saturday's the day off. So Saturday, you're... No, every day of the week. Every day of the week. God says, go multiply and fill the earth with his glory. His plan has never changed. In fact, Habakkuk 2 verse 14 says, it's, if we read the whole chapter, which I don't have time to do, but if we were to read the whole chapter, he's talking about the end. Okay? But he says, for as the waters fill the sea, in verse 14, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. Can you picture what that looks like? Can you get an image of it? Imagine in the book of Acts, Peter's walking down the street and people, they put their sick on the street so that his shadow would touch them. And they were healed because Peter's shadow touched them. That's the glory of God. But let me tell you, brothers and sisters, there is coming a time where the glory that's coming is greater than in the book of Acts. Amen. The Bible says, unlike ever before. So what am I to do? I'm to shine the glory of God. We can look at it and say, oh, well, I'm just a simple person. I'm just, I'm just a farm boy. I'm just a farm boy. Who are you? Listen, we're all children of the Father God Almighty. And we've been given an incredible responsibility to go and multiply and sh share his glory wherever we go. Do you know how he does it? He puts his glory inside of his children. He puts his glory inside of you. And as we are obedient to him, to the calling and leading of the Holy Spirit, we go one person at a time, and we share the glory. Some people reject it. But that's okay. We go on to the next. And we go on. Where am I to go? I am to go wherever the Lord sends me. Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. All we need to do is go outside. Just go outside. Go to your home. If you have unsaved family, go to your neighborhood, your workplace, to the city, and abroad. God calls us all to go and share our story. We have a unique story. And you know, you have a story that will reach some. I have a story that will reach others. But corporately together, we can reach many. 
I can't reach who you can reach. But together we can reach many. It's time we wake up, church. It's time that we don't just go to church. We be the church. Don't just go to church. Be the church. You know, the images on the right-hand side there, be the church. Believe it or not, that's WCF in action. And that's just a small snippet of what WCF is doing in our community. Do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to be a part of that action? Water to to the thirsty. Food to the hungry. Clothes to the naked. Different people, they've talked to me about, you know, as, I, as we meet with people and talking, yeah, but, you know, I don't think I'm really doing that much. But as I get to know them and as we engage in conversation, I am amazed. One person, how often do they meet somebody in the grocery store and they start praying with them? That's being the light. Somebody else going through a drive through pays for the car behind them and sends the message. Tell them that Jesus loves them. Still others, they came to WLO and they gathered up packages of food and items and they brought it down to Tent City because they had nothing. We can all do something. As a church, we, began, we became a part through the ABBA offering of helping Windsor Residence Inc., Windsor Homes Coalition, with food, with groceries, freezer, fridges, to help serve them. Don't, James 1, verse 22, don't be doers of the word and not hear, oh, sorry, but be doers of the word. Let me get that right. Be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Listen to what that verse is saying. If we are only hearers, we deceive ourselves. Do you know where deception, the word deception, do you know what it comes from? Division. A house divided cannot stand. If my internal house is, is following deceptive thoughts, deceptive beliefs, I'm a house divided. Romans 12 verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Do it. Honestly, can we say that we love as Jesus loved Perhaps we need to wake up every morning and pray, Father God, as I go through my day, remove everything from me that hinders me to love like you. Sorry, camera guys, I'm moving around a lot. I'm I'm excited. (sighs) Do you know what happens when we focus on that which divides We end up with apathy, exhaustion, and frustration. 
and we start losing hope and excitement about the Christian life. But guess what happens when we focus on the gospel? Go, make disciples, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Do you know what happens when we do that? We're focusing on the same thing, and we become united. And when we become united, the things that God can do in the house are beyond any of our wildest dreams. You know, sometimes we get confused with our placement and our function, who we are. Paul describes it perfectly. But before I get to that, I just want to make one statement very clear. Jesus is the only way to a house united. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Division is because of false beliefs. We're believing something wrong. That's what causes division. Jesus is truth. Focus on Jesus, and that unites us. May our conversations in the hallway be about Jesus. Not about the other stuff. For those that are really confused about purpose and function, sometimes I hear comments that the culture in WCF is changing and we don't value pastors anymore. Listen to this. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. Reading from NLT. Now these are the gifts Christ gave the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. The fivefold ministry of the church. Their responsibility, listen carefully. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. Did you hear what he's saying there? Paul is instructing those that are given the fivefold ministry of the church, their responsibility is to equip the rest. This will continue until we come to such unity in the faith and knowledge of God's Son that, will be that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Jesus Christ. Then you will no longer be immature children. Ooh. You know what? I love talking about my children, especially when they're immature. Not. <laughs> then you will no longer be immature children. So in other words, if we're walking in unity and division, or I mean, sorry, if we're walking in a lack of unity and in division, Paul is saying we're immature kids. Like, do you remember, for those of you who have little kids, do you remember a time when they would, they would fight and squabble over toys? Oh, I remember. And you know what? We would put our, our, one, our daughter on one side of a window, a glass door window, outside, and the other one on the inside, and they had to wash the windows together in unison. And you know what? The house we lived in, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, eight glass doors all going outside, and they had to wash them all. And at every door, they had to make the declaration, I love you. I love you. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, 
We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ Jesus. It's all about being like Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part willingly and lovingly does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow to be more mature so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I want to be part of a unified body. I want to be a part of a unified church. Because Jesus is coming back for a glorified church. He is coming back for a church that loves. If we read through Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there's all these warnings against the churches. And I'm going to come to a close here real quick. You can stand with me. The warnings to all the churches. I don't want to be one of those churches that has to go through and suffer unnecessarily. But I want to be a church that understands the fullness of who I am. Why I'm here, who I am, what I'm to do, and where I'm to go. As we take our little wafers of bread that represent the body of Jesus Christ, do you know, Jesus allowed his body to be broken so that we, the church, could be unified? But we have to focus on him. He has to be our focus. Father God, I want to praise you and I want to thank you for this bread that represents your body. And I admit sometimes, Father, that I'm ashamed that I've partaken in division and not unity. Forgive me, Lord. And as I partake of this bread, may I be reminded of the work of the cross, your broken body, that unfailing, sacrificial, serving love that you bestowed upon us, that we may have life and so that we can follow in your footsteps and love others in the same way. Let's partake together. And for the cup, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, scattered out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Again, Father God, I ask for your forgiveness. Confessing the unnecessary words that come from my mouth that don't bring unity but cause division. And as I take part in your shed blood, I am so grateful and I'm thankful that Jesus Christ, you are the center of it all. And I thank you for dying, for loving me, for dying for me, and for allowing me the awesome privilege of being part of your awesome family so that together, corporately, we can unite that the world will know that we have been set apart to share the glory of the Lord to the world. Thank you, Jesus.
Just stay standing for a moment while Bill and Bernice share the closing words. Does it work? Okay, first of all, I'd like to thank Pastor Larry. We are truly blessed in this church to have Pastor Larry and Pastor RJ. And the message that he brought forth today was truly awesome. And I grew up in a loving family. And being part of the church family is just as important to me. I love everybody. Okay. I'd like to close with three of the scripture. One time, Jesus entered the house, and the crowd began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When the family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived in Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with this illustration. Can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by fighting will fall apart. If Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He will not survive. He will <clears throat> Let us illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to end the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. I tell you the truth, all sin is blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. Amen, and thank you for coming. You are dismissed. <laughs>